Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? So, <laughs> I think from now on I'm just going to do these in my normal voice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> giving up on the experiment already. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if it comes back down the line. But for now, <clears throat> this is Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, a podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola cut by cut. And this is a Cage Club Network production. Ooh, okay, I get it. It's, <laughs> the pressure <laughs> the pressure can be on sometimes. So, buona sera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where, where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. Uh, I'm right here, and I'm Mike Manzi. And, you know, Brian, maybe we could alternate down the line doing the intro if you wanted some fun voices. I put that on you. You're the voice man. Yeah. They just come out, you know, like you can't force it. <laughs> fine, 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 fair. And uh, Mike, three is a magic number. Oh, my gosh. Is third time's a charm, Brian? I don't know. <laughs> We're talking episode three of The Offer today. I can't wait. Like I said, I can't wait to talk about this one with you. I'd watch two and three at the same time. You watch them separately. So I'm looking forward to that. And I, I will be drinking another uh, cup of the Coppola tonight. My cup today says, I think I got these for my wedding. It says, I like her butt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you like her butt what? But, no, what's, two, but what about? Oh, oh two T's. <laughs> and uh, my wife has one that says, I like his beard. How is that equivalent to? Maybe they custom made it. It should be, I like his butt. <laughs> I don't know. But that's my wine glass. And I'm going to try to finish the bottle I was drinking last time. The Francis Coco right. Diamond Collection Pinot Noir 2018. Now, I like Pinot Noirs, but they have a lot of tannins. And they usually give me a headache in the morning. And so here's to a headache tomorrow morning. <laughs> Instead of trying something else, we're just going to push through. No, and... no, this is for Uncle Francis's wine cellar. We're in this cellar. Are you going to be a headache like the way the script is in this episode? Ooh. Where's the script? I need to read the script. Give me the script, buddy. <laughs> so, Mike, you and I have said that our favorite thing about this is the showbiz behind the scenes aspect of it. And this episode is a lot of that, which I love. Where did we leave yeah, off yeah. last time? I don't even remember. Oh, it was like uh, he got the rat in the book. Yeah, yeah. He got the rat in the book, and then now Reddy was picked up by the mob. And yeah, this is when the mob becomes involved in show business. So, you know, I guess worlds are colliding here, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, excited because originally we were so down on this mob subplot, but... Now it's like going in a way where it makes a little bit more sense. Like no one's killing anyone, which I thought that was what it's going to be more about. But now it's kind of just like yeah. about the movie and the making of. Yeah, yeah. It's more about just intimidation. And I think that's funny too, because like, yeah, they're not represented on the show like they are in old gangster films, the way that I thought in episode one, they were trying to go for it. Like yeah. the whole idea is like, no, like he's trying to create like sort of an anti-defamation league of some type and, or, you know, like the Italian-American civil rights union, <laughs> you know, he wants to bring a good name, wipe the word mafia off the face of the planet. And yeah, you know, they carry guns, they talk tough and they are 
intimidating people, but no one's murdering anybody in this show. And this episode, I think, uh, guarantees that. And kind of like a weird weight was lifted off of me in terms of, you know, thinking that there was going to be, uh, it was going to get very serious again on that side of things. And so now it, it feels like the mob has joined the fun. It's like part of the party now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it reminds me of kind of, look, I know The Sopranos gets dark, but it kind of reminds me of Sopranos-esque mob now where there's like a lot of levity that happens in between things. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. I think that's fun. And I, it's probably more realistic, right? Let's be honest. Like the mob's not killing everyone every right. day. Like that, that would be ridiculous. I think even the, the movie The Godfather ends up being way more gratuitous. Uh, yeah, like for sure. Real things that happen. Although they do touch on at the end here, you know, with, with Joe Gallo, you know, we'll get there, the stuff with that, you know. So there was, like, real-life mob wars and horrors, so we can't say there was No, no, no. I don't want to dismiss all the yeah. murderers that they did do or anything like that. But I think in anything, right, like a war movie, war is, like, the darkest thing that could be on, on Earth, right? But there's a lot of levity, too, because that's just how, as humans, that's how we entertain ourselves. We can't be dark and yeah. morose all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think of Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino one. Like, it, it almost turned out to be a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, like, very dark. A couple things before uh, we dive into the episode that I wanted to mention. One specifically, I'm still tossing around this thing of, like, not do we need this, because you and I both like this, but... Like, The Godfather itself, it, it's a fictional story. It's not based on an actual person. We'll get movies later. Like, wasn't there, like, a Travolta Gotti movie, which was, like, supposed to be terrible? Oh, man, yeah. Still got to check that out. <laughs> yep. No, but, yeah, but you're right. Like, it's not a biopic the way, like, Hoffa was or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm still deciding, like, whether I like the biopic or, or whether I like the fictional version. The truth is I like both, but a show I was thinking about this time was Succession, the wildly popular Succession on HBO. That started as literally a like a teleplay about Rupert Murdoch and that family, and they couldn't get off the ground for a lot of obvious reasons. Rupert Murdoch owns Fox, or at least he did uh, the movie studio at the time, and they're like, how do we alienate like one of the big movie studios when we're trying to produce something? Like No one would do that. And then... When they thought about it, and I got this from that HBO book I was talking about, but when they really thought about it, they're like, let's just make a story about a unique family. Yes, we'll take from here, we'll take from there, but at the end of the day, it's about family. And I'm like, that is The Godfather too, right? It's not one real Mafia Don story. It's not Joe Colombo's story. It's not even Frank Sinatra's story, right? Like, there's elements of right, it, right. but ultimately what people are watching for as they say, it's not just like a punchline here. It really is the family dynamics, especially when we get to, you know, in the movie, like the Fredo stuff. I can't wait to see it. Like, yeah, I'm excited because we're starting to see the real movie come together. And right. yeah, like one by one, we're piecing th this quilt of it. And just wanted to throw that secession, secession, like, like it's like the Confederacy succession, <laughs> succession parallel out there. Any overarching thoughts before we uh, talk about some scenes? Well, 
I don't know if we mentioned enough how great this show looks, but beautiful show, great looking episode. I mean, so period perfect that I never think twice about it, that I get completely lost in the period of it, uh, that I start taking it for granted sometimes. And then a, a scene will pop up and someone will be wearing an outfit and I'll be like, oh my goodness, like, <laughs> you know, like that is amazing cell phones or any of that kind of thing like it never dawns on me to any degree so i think they're nailing all of that i still think some of the dialogues kind of rough and <laughs> handed and but i'm beyond that because again like I, i'm sort of treating that as part of the fun like i think that's intentional in a lot of ways because they have a lot of ground to cover and a lot of sort of benchmarks to cross and a lot of sort of moments to explore, you know, and like certain pivotal scenes that they want to show the creation of. So like, I'm okay with them not cheating per se, but like getting the point across by doing like, like, I don't want to even say as little as possible, but like the language I feel like they're using on the show is very basic in terms of that, like everybody can understand where we are in every scene moving forward. Like it's very clear in every scene where we are, where we're starting and where we're ending and that like what type of progression has been made. And I think that's nice that it's like kind of simple in that way because it gives the actors a lot more room to explore their characters. And like, I think this episode is in particular, I was like, this this could have been half an episode in a lot of ways, but everyone is still very much sinking their teeth into the material. I'll go back to that. I think I said on the first episode, like another question I've been asking myself, did this need to be a miniseries? Did this need to be 10 episodes and we won't know till the end but i'm getting the feeling that you're kind of getting mike yeah oh the first episode was like a long period but these two episodes two and three it feels like in a couple days of each other you know what i mean yeah no i feel like two and three could have been an episode and maybe that's why they released all three at once maybe but this definitely the crux of this episode is we need the script where's the script the script's not done get a script in someone's hand and like that is basically every or every other scene <laughs> you know there's very Which, little by the subplot way, i'm here. fine with <laughs> i'm fine with it too because my some of my favorite stuff is just the puzo coppola sitcom that's happening in this thing running through it all so i'm not complaining i'm just saying like it felt like they were stretching this one out more and it felt like they were sort of truncating the last episode a bit so they could have just merged it in my mind yeah i could totally see that um a couple things i wanted to note that this is the first episode that's directed by a different person the director is adam arkin who is the son of alan arkin i was like oh, i was curious okay. he is um he's mostly an actor but he has directed a couple um episodes of some notable tv fargo he directed an episode or two of justified shows like that so he's a tv director i was gonna say not really a known name obviously his name is known because of his father but just uh, something i wanted to point out you said the look looked great and they're definitely keeping that consistent throughout which is cool the other thing i wanted to mention as we talk about this francis ford coppola and uh, mario puzo show that we're getting like almost like the mini sitcom we're getting in this Something did dwell on me. I do love Dan Fogler's performance. I love it, trust me. The one thing that I think it's missing from real life is that Dan Fogler is 46 years old. I think Francis was like 29 or 30. Oh my gosh, that never that never occurred to me because he looks so much like him in the time. Like Yeah. And and he has a lot of like youthful energy, but oh wow. That never dawned on me. Well, the, the only thing that I say it's like an issue, and it's really not because I love it, but 
when you look at um or watch like Coppola interviews, he talks about how Puzo became like a fun uncle figure to him, you know? He okay. was like the young guy and Puzo was like this older guy and like they, they were bonding. Yeah, yeah. To me, this is more buddy buddy. It doesn't feel like there's a age difference, a bigger age difference between them, you know? There's definitely like an age difference, yeah. but it doesn't feel like uncle and younger young buck trying to get him to go in the right direction yeah yeah that's amazing how that never dawned on me i now i wish not that i don't love what dan fogler's doing but like i almost kind of wish they found maybe a younger guy or or just emphasized the age difference more because like it's a whole generation Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and like they really could have played that up a lot more and like even if it didn't happen, you could have had a, a nice scene where Puzo gets frustrated because this young guy is trying to tell him, the older guy who's had more life experience about his own book, about, you know, his life. It's like, that would have been an interesting scene where it's like, in layman's, it would be like, I'm older than you. What do you know? And then he could be like, just because I'm younger doesn't mean, you know, whatever. Or they, like, I don't know better. Like, that could have been a fun bit of play to do and also just like maybe referential stuff you know like referencing things from just like oh in my day we did this and in my day we did that and then Puzo being like well you know in my my day this and that and like I don't know that could have been more fun to play that angle up yeah that might be something that they that they missed out on maybe we'll get it though maybe we'll get it in later episodes who knows I think maybe but like did they even say I mean maybe when they were thro- throwing the word Coppola around early on in episode one. And they was like, well, you did write Patton and he's like s- super young or whatever. They might've said it once, you know, and like thrown it out there. But like, I want them to like, like everything else in this show, I want them to like really hammer it home, you know, <laughs> and like play with that. Because we know at the time Coppola has directed a lot of movies for someone his age, but yeah. they're not like, yeah. we'll cover them on this uh, podcast, but they're not yeah. like big hits or crazy. There are a lot of like weird stuff. Yeah. Finnegan's Wake. You're like you're a big boy now. Weird stuff. Finnegan's Rainbow, right? Okay. Finnegan's Rake, uh, Wake. I think that's the song. That's a song or something. Or, or a poem. Yeah, I Finnegan's think. I think Rainbow. That is Joyce. It. Not a poem, a book. Uh, <laughs> the Rain People, I'm looking it up, Dementia 13. And there's a lot of other stuff that he like right. participated yeah. in with like multiple directors. A lot of experimental stuff. But he's still like a young guy. So when you think about like The Godfather was directed by someone who was so young, it reminds me of Orson Welles directing Citizen Kane or something like that, you know, when he was so young and yeah. being in the film, which is even more incredible. But um, that's something, like I said, like we're Coppola fans here, and that's something that they're definitely not highlighting as much like how much of like a young person they're taking a chance on as well yeah good call excellent yeah all those angles man i feel like now that 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 they're missing out on that like they shouldn't be dwelling on as much as it might have happened like this relationship stuff with uh francois has sort of taken a weird turn i told you, know? you i um, told you <laughs> <laughs> like put the energy from that into the into the coppola stuff like frankly you know what to be quite honest with you, Brian, like now the more I'm thinking about it, I just want the Puzo Coppola story of them writing in a room in a house for give me six episodes of that. Like, you know, kill everything else on this show and just give me that. And it's like the odd couple and I'm happy. But I don't know. It's just it's kind of frustrating to see now where they're putting their energy in this episode in certain things. And like I said earlier, I just feel like they're really kind of drawing this one out and like trying to sort of like pad it. They're stalling or something is the way this episode feels. (laughs) 
The elements I did like about it in terms of Puzo and Coppola, I have to mention this because this is Uncle Francis's wine cellar. When he talks yeah. about, like, I live in Northern California now. It's so European, and the wine, you should come visit me, the best wine you'll ever have, or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's sort of, like, mirrored by one of Giovanni Ribisi's lines towards the end when Al's like, you should come out to california and he's like nah you'll never get me out there like i'm yeah. just waiting for it to shake into the ocean <laughs> the map <laughs> you know it's like what a what an incredibly new york thing to say about la <laughs> and like what a california thing to say about california yeah so the exact line that francis says is and you'll drink the finest wine you could ever imagine mario i love it i love it <laughs> you mentioned something awesome though that happens here in terms of the mafia thing. Al Ruddy, played by Miles Teller, who I think is doing a really good job. Yeah. Basically, he, he convinces Joe Colombo of two things. He's like, we're going to take mafia out of the script, the word mafia, and, and Francis says it's only in there once. And that is true. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Mm-hmm. I, not, not that Joe Colombo asked about that. That I don't know. But from watching some Francis interviews, he said that the studio asked him, just don't use the word mafia. And he was like, fine. I wasn't really going to use it that much anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. <laughs> but it's like, how many times could it be in there? And it's like, it was barely even in there once, you know, like it was in there, but it didn't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because he needs a win. Joe Colombo needs a win. And that's one of them. And the other thing is like, he wants to read the script. Or at least that's what Al Ruddy sells him on. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this whole uh, wild goose chase to get the script to New York from L.A., um, where uh, Betty basically yanks it from from uh, Puzo and Coppola. And by the way, like how they're describing the house, like how they didn't haven't sent the maid there because they've been writing. Oh my god! Yeah, Coppola's yeah. like, what's that smell? And he's like, what? Like, it just, <laughs> I could I could like taste that smell. Complete total bachelor pad <laughs> syndrome. Like, just almost as if they have like cabin fever too, where they just haven't even like changed or taken a shower or anything. Yeah. You know, like, it's interesting. Like, uh, Giovanni Ribisi is still growing on me, but it, it, he still feels a little like the odd man out. And then up in the, against those scenes with Miles Teller, I feel like you have the strongest and sort of one of the more, you know, weaker things happening and they're colliding in these scenes and i don't know it's still fun and interesting but i mean here between these two guys and their and their characters and style i feel like you really feel the the separation of worlds right these guys are from two completely different worlds Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why i felt like they're from two different shows but i do feel like they belong in the same show now now that they've met and their worlds have like intertwined and intersected and i'm i'm enjoying colombo more now that even he's sort of like against sinatra and uh you know all he wanted to do was like like you said he just needed a win he wanted to get schmoozed he wanted to know and feel like he was still important because sort of like he's getting a little pushed around now that he's more responsible within the actual absolute uh, organization yeah and he's showing um you know ruddy his power as well like when he brings him to the copacabana right yes what do they say about share he's like their share oh well i uh, married that little guy oh, yeah, yeah. why is she with him and he's like because they're making millions of dollars together <laughs> <laughs> that's cool another thing that's cool in new york is location scouting with francis i thought that was such a oh, beautiful yeah. scene the real godfather house is not there anymore so uh this was a different house i wonder like how they found that house but we don't really get like a big sweeping view of it so i guess you know yeah it's close it, enough. it could have been a set 
it could even at this point it could have all been green screened or something like a digital set or something but yeah i really enjoyed that sequence as well when uh he tells them to kind of sit down and you know you feel it that he's found the house and like that's one of the more high caliber sequences i feel in the entire show so far that's really cool you could really feel like francis having his like epiphany and uh yeah, that that's a really nice sequence. I enjoyed it very much. Like I like all that. I really enjoy like all the Pacino stuff in this. As yeah, well. okay, that's the next thing I wanted to get to, right? Like the Pacino stuff is really cool and really beautiful. But then uh, this is apparently a true story when um, our guy. Well, I'm forgetting names tonight. What's the Matthew Matthew? Uh... My, name, my name's Robert Evans, baby. Oh, come on, yeah, I Bob Evans. My name. <laughs> yeah, Evans, <laughs> and. When he literally like walks into the screening, sees Al Pacino there, and he's like, "Nope, no, you know, not gonna happen." Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> he is like dynamite. That guy is like the shortest fuse, but like, I can't even imagine the pressure. This is the episode where like he finds out in the last episode he found out he was gonna get fired or thought he might be getting fired. So like he's in full on like panic mode yeah. in this episode, so, avoiding like, phone calls. Losing... Yeah, and you know. Like, he feels his grip slipping, so, yeah, he is fuming when he sees Pacino and that they did, like, a screen test with him, and he had, you know, felt, felt like, ambushed again, and, like, he spends most of this episode really pissed off. (laughs) Famously, the resolution for this, again, I saw this on the Godfather special features, was they are going to cast James Caan. He's already been mentioned on the show, so that's not a spoiler alert. Also, you know he's in the Godfather. Right, right, Jimmy Caan. And James Caan gets the role of uh, Sonny. Everyone in Hollywood wants the role of Sonny. That's like the hot role. Even Al Pacino said like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to play Sonny originally because, I mean, for different reasons, but Sonny is like one of those juicy, because he's a hothead, you know, and he has the like the big momentous scene at the toll booth, right? But the studio is like, why didn't you cast James Caan as the lead? So Francis famously does this screen test in real life where he puts James Caan with Diane Keaton, and uh, does a screen test as Michael. I think it's at the wedding. It's one of the scenes where he's, like, explaining it. And there's footage of this, and it's so weird to see James Caan as, like, the nice guy (laughs) Michael version instead Uh of that. And in real life, as legend has it, the producers saw it, and they're like, yeah, you were right. Al Pacino is better in that. So (laughs) I think that's a scene we're going to get because we're clearly, like, building to that. Um, but yeah, yeah, super cool to see more Al in this. Super cool to see, wow. you know, the yeah. screen tests and stuff. Yeah, I can't wait to see how far they go because I guess they got to go all the way in recreating scenes of The Godfather eventually. Like they're they're casting Brando, they're casting James Caan. Like they got to cast everybody else, right? Like it's gonna be almost like that movie. It's Schenectady, New York, where yeah. it's going to be like a play within a play within a play at one point. It's <laughs> essentially what we're getting. The Godfather is such a complex movie for its time because, and I've, see, I've seen an interview with Francis where he talks about this. He talked about this a lot, right? Look, you have New York stuff yeah. you're shooting on location. You have Vegas stuff you're shooting, which wasn't a lot in the Godfather one, but it still was there. You have uh, Sicily stuff, famously. Right. And, yeah. and there's one more, and I can't. Oh, the Hollywood stuff. So there's four different locations to trust this director. It's just, it's just intense. It's just insane. Yeah, and a lot of um, like scenes and sequences within those environments as well, right? Like very different locations and 
it's going to be interesting to see the battles that they pick and choose to portray on the show, right? Uh, that's why I'm wondering, you know, initially why they were spending so much time on certain things. I think you were too as well, right? They spend like a lot of time setting things up. So I wonder if everything's been set up now or if, or if they're going to pay things off next episode and reintroduce new problems and issues. You know what I mean? Like that would be nice. Like I'd like to get some things resolved. Hopefully this Francois-ish is it yeah. Francois? Francois? Hopefully that stuff gets Francois. Let's talk Hopefully about this because gets... <laughs> I was bummed, man, because I was so into her character, and I was like, "What did they? This must have happened." Because are you happy with this? What is going on here? Because so so that's why I didn't want to like tip, <laughs> tip my hand in the last episode. Because episode two, you're totally right. It looks like we're gonna get an arc for her, and she's gonna be super helpful, similar to Betty, similar to like some other people we're seeing. By the way, side note, love Betty once again in this episode from the stealing of the script yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. New York to her with the, the I keep forgetting his name, but the Gulf Western uh, chairman. Oh, when they go out for uh, drinking salads. Yeah, that drinking was salads. Awesome. I think Evan's. Evans, she's turning out to be like my favorite character, or at least like she's becoming a breakout character on the show. Juno Temple's knocking it out of the park here. You know, she's a strong woman with direction and, and is really, really a big part of this movie. But Francois, who is married to Ruddy, she started off with so much power as she told them the story of escaping Europe, you know, from Nazis and and controlling this hotel from her ex-husband. And she's clearly a Hollywood power player. Then we see her concern for her own husband now because there's there's threats and she knows it. So she's like a wise character. And in the last episode, it seemed like we were going to you know, get her helping out and kind of her having even more agency here. But episode three, they're kind of depicting her as like useless and annoying and... Well, it's so weird. They're they're depicting her as like in the way, overstepping her bounds. All right. So like, I, I think I understand what the shows might be doing. I don't know. It's hard, but I feel like they might be trying to write her, write the character out get her out of the way maybe like causing a rift between her and al so that they spend some time apart some way because it feels very out of character for her so far because like you say like she has so much of her own stuff going on and like yes she does want to help al and al is like i want your help too you know but like he kind of says like when i need it i'll ask for it in a a way right like Mm -hmm. that's sort of his thing and you know, not that this is wrong per se, because she has the best intentions, but like she kind of goes behind his back, you know, and like tries to do something nice for him. And I think it's just all going to end up blowing up in their face. You know, like they say in this show, don't shit where you eat. But like what ends up happening is like she goes to see Al. She sees a pile of scripts on the desk. She takes one of the scripts with her. She reads it. She ends up like deciding she wants to be a producer. And Al's kind of like, you know, very distracted by the Godfather. So he's like, all right, sure, fine. Kind of like do whatever. And it seems like it's going to start causing like a, like major problems with everybody because of that. And that I feel like she might be on her way out as sort of a result of it all. And like, I don't know. I'm I'm just bummed because I just feel like it's not something I saw this person doing. I feel like she would have gone back to the hotel, the chateau. She would have sort of like respected his boundaries maybe, you know? It just seems like, I don't know. This is the story from Al Ruddy's perspective. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to give too much away of her story, but 
they're no longer together in theory, right? Spoil they, for real history. <laughs> real history. They get divorced, right? So is Al Ruddy just like taking the opportunity to shit on his ex-wife? Like, oh, she got too involved. You know, I hope that's not the case because this is 2022 and these kind of naggy wife characters should not exist anymore, right? Like, we don't need this. That's what's so unusual about it is, like, even if it did happen, think of kind of like a more, I don't know, maybe like respectable way to portray it, maybe, because it totally, like, the way the show is so sort of over the top, it it comes across as that like nagging wife character all of a sudden when she never showed any sign of being that type of person. So yeah, it's weird that like their sitcom has now become that. Whereas before they were just like a totally well-adjusted couple that were both very successful sort of doing their own things. Now it's like, you know, I want to be involved in your work. And so it's causing issues. It's like, you know, it's almost like Lucy started working with the band. hundred percent. I was just know, literally the, Ricky. Like, I want to be, I want to be in your show, Ricky. Like, no, you can't be in the show. You know, like <laughs> exactly. And it's like, I'm waiting for her to just be like, Wah. and it's like, I don't, you know, that was fine for, I love Lucy back in the day, but like, yeah, there's no need to do that. It's not now. the character we got at the beginning of this woman who's running a hotel exactly. and throwing these parties and like really, is much more successful than no successful in Hollywood because Ruddy is successful at the Rand Corporation or whatever. But like, uh, right, she's much right. more successful in Hollywood than he is. And two or three episodes later, she just feels like she needs to have a place in his world. And characters are dismissing her. She suggests Sinatra uh, play the lead. That was that was the cringiest moment in a in a show that's had a lot of them so far yeah. that i've let them sort of slide you know and i was just like wait no this is this is wrong almost you know like why would that be in there so yeah what you're you know talking about not just her suggestion but the fact that uh bob evans basically pulls ready aside and he's like what the fuck is that like sinatra are you kidding yeah me? Yeah, like, you ever tell your wife to, like, talk to me again, like, you're fired, is basically what he said. It's like, I don't want your wife telling me what to do. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's like, it's like a, again, I don't agree with this statement, but I, I think it's like the 40-year-old version, where uh, Steve Carell is like, I, I forgot the character's name, but, like, his wife or his girlfriend is, like, talking back to Steve Carell, and Steve Carell goes, like, put your hoe on a leash. And it's like cringy in 40 year old virgin but it's right, cringy right. on purpose because it's a comedy here it's like serious like you know, control your woman you know it's like what the f-? like this is 2022 yeah. oh bob evans would totally have said something like that i'm just surprised that the show is taking time to focus on it but also we have Ju- uh, right. juno temple's character betty at one point like writes a note like are, is she actually doing this is this for real i forget what the note says something along those lines yeah it just feels like the show is trying to turn everyone against that character all of a sudden. And like, there was sort of tension with her and, and Betty in the last episode. And I felt it again when they shared the screen here and I was looking forward to them, you know, bonding or not. But now it just seems like they were setting it up to be like, Oh, like she's too much in everybody's business. And it's like, where did that come from? All It kind of just feels like all of a sudden, maybe it's there and I didn't see it, but 
even Al's like, don't you have like the Rolling Stones coming to your hotel and like a concert and like all this stuff? And I was like, yeah, show us that. Like, I want to see her and Mick Jagger lookalikes on stage <laughs> for a moment. And like, maybe she's looking like not enjoying herself, you know, because she wants to be helping Al. But like, yeah, she's still like working her first job the way you know what i'm saying like going getting on with her life and doing her thing even if that's not the way it happened like i feel like it would work better for the show for sure you know you could still cause a rift because of their professional life you know but like this is this is weird it's just weird not looking forward to this aspect of the show there's so much there's so many other things in the show i'm looking forward to you know what else is kind of weird about it just the last thing i had to say about it was like you know you and i have sort of expressed how Betty is the one who, if anybody is going to become a producer out of nowhere on the show, it's going to be someone like her because she's shown like so much initiative and, and so much intelligence about the business. And like, here comes Francoise who like doesn't, you know, she's basically like Al, you know, Al Ruddy also, you know, just comes in there, yeah. doesn't know much about it or anything. So like, it's just strange that the show wouldn't just be like, oh, you know what? Like, let's just make Betty a producer on The Godfather. Even if it didn't happen, I think like it would work better for the direction the show's going. We'll see. And I'm enjoying things here, but there's just some avenues that I don't need. One thing we do learn on this episode is that uh, previously on The Offer, Mario Puzo had written a, a cold letter essentially to Marlon Brando, suggesting that he play yeah. the Don, obviously, the Godfather. And lo and behold, Marlon Brando has written back, and we're going to get a Brando, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, looking forward to Brando showing up. Looking forward to two things about it, too. Like, how is this actor going to play Brando, and then how is he going to play Don Corleone? Right. Like, I want to see the moment because, you know, it's very, I think this is also pretty famous. And there's footage of it, of the test footage where they even, you see him putting like, or maybe Coppola's talking, like he puts the cotton in his mouth and he like shuts out and like he's like, you could see him transform. And all of a sudden he's Don Corleone, you know, he like walking across the room and you see him like turn into the guys. So I'm looking forward to seeing if they do a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. Famously, Brando is the kind of actor, and again, Coppola has talked about this. I've watched a lot of Coppola interviews recently, so that's why. He said, like, you give Brando a prop, and that's how he acts, right? Like, you just give him the lines, and he's you're not like, could you try it this way? Could you try it that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Marlon Brando is someone who just absorbs that character, gets into it, and you just rock with that. I believe it was him, it might have been Martin Sheen, but I believe it was Brando who basically said to Coppola in Apocalypse Now, like, listen, you've changed the movie so much. I can't play this final scene like you wanted me to with this big, like, war battle. We gotta match the tone of the rest of the film. So, (laughs) like, which, you know, it's fair. We'll talk about Apocalypse Now many times Uh over because uh there's so many cuts Uh for that film. But... I can't wait uh-huh. to see, hopefully, that kind of Brando here. Because Marlon Brando might be the most mysterious actor mm. of all time. When it comes to, like, big actors. He's on a lot of people's Mount Rushmores. I get it. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to be a tough role to play. By the way, this show is shrouded in mystery. I wanted to tell you this, Mike. When you look things up about, like, future episodes, some episode names have not even been dropped. Most of them have ah. not even been dropped. Most of the, a lot of the directors and even the writers haven't been dropped for some 
for some episodes. So I'm like really wondering why they're shrouding so much of this in mystery when we know what the end game is here and we know how it turns <laughs> out, right? If the last episode says premiere, we know what, we know what happens, right? <laughs> Maybe that's part of their rationale is like let's tease everything else about the show because they already know how it ends uh like let's not give them little details and things like that like let's just with- withhold the information that would be sort of generally given you know at the release of any of these shows and like that'll be what keeps them guessing i guess going uh from week to week but you know it's also true like i didn't find out until today that part of or most of or some of this show is also based on a book leave the gun take the cannoli the epic story of the godfather i think it's called by mark Steele. i so like that has been popping up in relation to google searches for this show uh i don't know if that's been confirmed you know or not i haven't done a lot of research you're sort of like the research man the librarian of the podcast i'm, I'm no dan cologne from the monsters that made us no, yeah, he's like running the foundation basically <laughs> up in outer space. But yeah, uh, you know, regarding the uh, the Brando stuff, like the scene I really want to see is like um, they're shooting uh, something in his office, and like one of the other actors or the cameraman is like, "What the hell is this?" And they see his lines written everywhere. Like, I hope they just drop stuff and details like that somewhere along the way too. Yeah, hundred percent. I I really can't wait for that. So we kind of end this episode. Back to, like, the mafia thing, like, Joe Gallo, famous mafia yeah. guy, is, like, they're suddenly involving this now, which is... Dude, just when we were out... <laughs> they pulled, they us, pulled back us back in. in. <laughs> like, I was just saying, like, man, finally this, this mobster stuff is sort of like integrated very well and calmed down and I, I get, I see the idea of what they're, what they're doing and you know, I was sort of like a little mad at myself because I think I was just over anxious and, and excited about the show that I was like, what's this doing here? <laughs> and now it's like back to that sort of square one where we got like, it seems a hit out on jo- uh, on Giovanni Ribisi. And it's like, huh? <laughs> like now it's back to that again, I guess. We'll see. But that was a surprise. Yeah, I'm just guessing that, and uh, this might be taking a leap, but. They knew that uh, Joe Colombo was involved with The Godfather. And they wanted to tell that part of the story. But they decided to do something like, well, why don't we say what the mafia in the 70s was up to in New York as well? And let's tell parallel stories, you know? Yeah, but that's the thing. I don't need another season of Boardwalk Empire. No one needs this. No one needs it. I still do not get why they went in this direction. Like, no part of me wanted this part of it. Like, right? Like, make make that a separate movie. I don't know. Yeah, right. Because I thought it would have also been interesting if, because, uh, you know, Giovanni Ribisi is basically like, it's 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 really clever how Al like gives him the script, but it's like missing pages, so he like beefs it up with like other stuff and hopes he doesn't read it enough. And so, and so Giovanni Ribisi is basically like at the end of that sequence, uh, he's like, nah, you can make your movie. You got my permission. Like, go do whatever you want. I'm going to. And and then I actually expected him to say something that would basically equal 
I'm going to go leave the show now. You guys have a good show. Like, I did my thing. <laughs> like, I'm off the show, you know? Because it just felt like his purpose was fulfilled in a lot of ways. And, like, if he came back maybe three or four episodes later to see how the movie's going, like, I'd be okay with that. But it's weird how, they're like, now nah, we're just going to follow him home and see what's up. I don't know where this is going. It's weird that they put us back here. How does the episode end? That is how it, it ends. It's just like, um, like, oh, like. Joe Gallo's gonna work for me because he used, he used to work for this family. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he says how it was like the Joe Gallo incident needs to be handled internally amongst the Colombo family, and now that he's like a boss, like it's up to him to deal with it. And they and that's sort of a an argument, but he wins that argument. And then it ends with Joe Gallo and one of his Harlem friends like watching Giovanni Ribisi sort of reenact that scene from the godfather who walks across the street and starts like feeling fruit i guess is what it looked like i wasn't sure but they're sort of spying on him and being like i'm gonna get him like uh i'm gonna bring hell upon him or something like that i'm gonna make his world a living hell we're back here we're back to uh-oh mafia danger <laughs> but uh, again i'm still looking forward to this stuff i'm looking forward to seeing brando i'm looking forward to how they introduce us to talia shire um i hope they show us a lot of the cast i hope we get to see the reaction to the film yeah this was a little evans light this episode i guess like uh i i liked the bluthorn stuff i want more of charlie bluthorn <laughs> who's that actor again uh burn gorman yeah, yeah i've known him from a bunch of stuff along the years but like him and juno temple that's one of the most fun scenes that might be the most fun scene in the episode is like when they first meet first they're on the phone and they have that interaction on the phone where he's like, he's like, get me Al. And she's like, Al's not here and all this. And then he's like, well, then get me Evans. And she kind of says like, no, and, you know, yeah. and like gets him off the phone. And then they meet in person. And he's like, ah, the girl with the not so long legs that like gets things done or something. <laughs> <laughs> and he like asks her out for a drink. And then she ends up going out with him because they need a distraction because the yeah. mob is coming to read the script. Like that's all fun stuff. And then they go out and they drink their salad. That was a cool <laughs> phrase. Which again, yeah, it's a bloody Mary, which is awesome. Yeah. So that's pretty much this episode. Yeah. I don't know that I have much else. I think this is a shorter episode. Uh, I mean, of this show, but I think it could have been a shorter episode of that show too, of the offer, uh, you know, because again, I think like, the stuff I didn't talk about is just because a lot of it is from scene to scene, like, where's the script? I need the script. Like, show me the script. So, like, you know, that's basically what we didn't talk about is just a lot of that. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of, like, he got the script before me? Who's read the script? You stole the script. Like, <laughs> and then the mob being like, yeah, I don't need to read the script. <laughs> like, as long as the word mafia is not in the script, that's fine. <laughs> Mike, you know this, but let me let our couple of fans and listeners in on something. I am going on my honeymoon soon, so uh, I will be watching the show, but I won't be able to record. And if you're wondering, and if you're one of the people congratulating me on getting married, I got married in 2019, haven't been able to honeymoon till now, for obvious COVID yes. reasons. Um, so <laughs> that, that's why I will be away, but uh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking you'll uh, maybe... Give someone else the key to the wine cellar for a week. So uh, looking forward to that. <laughs> but in the meantime, follow me at my Twitter at OhMyRodriguez. Listen to my other show, High School Slumber Party. Mike is on all the time. Uh, and then, Mike, of course, you have a Twitter as well. Uh, yeah, that's the 
uh, at the underscore Mikester. Uh, I started Twitter. That's my old DJ name. So I started it for that and just kept it, I guess. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't but, realize that. That it was your DJ Twitter. Yeah. I knew it was your DJ name, but I thought you just thought it was cool for Twitter. No. So, like, that's what I used to promote on. But, yeah, that's so I never changed that. But that's what that's from in case anyone ever needed to know the mystery of that um, <laughs> solved. Uh, you could find all the other shows I'm on, such as... Uh, Cage Club with Joey Lewandowski, uh, The Monsters That Made Us with Dan Cologne, and my own show, Third Time's a Charm, with my unofficial co-host, Brian Rodriguez, uh, all at cageclub.me, at cageclubpod on Twitter, and at cageclubpod on Instagram. And if you're a fan of Coppola and you're enjoying this show, uh, like, subscribe, share it, tell a friend about it, let's spread the word. And if you like the offer... Please tell more people about it because I don't think it's getting a lot of buzz right now. But I'll tell you what, Mike, in New York, on the subway, there's offer ads everywhere. Paramount is really, really, really pushing this movie. It reminds me that we have to record every day because, like, my subway station has a big The Offer ad when I walk in. So. Oh, Take a picture, and we'll yeah, post I got it picture, when we get yeah. a Twitter going. Well, we're, I think <laughs> we're just going to use our Twitter for this one. Well, when we when we get episodes going, I mean, I would, I would like to see that. Okay, I, I will post that up and, and share it. And uh, once again, Mike, salute, thank you, manja, manja, manja. I might, I might have an ending, maybe. Oh. Uh, leave the gun, take the cannolis. We should have just, yeah, we should have just done that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> this is the end. Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Of our elaborate plans The end Of everything that stands The end No safe